welcome to the Ghost to Ghost podcast. We are back here with episode 15. I am your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. And today we have a really special episode just for the fact that we now have an NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors. And we're going to talk about just kind of some things that wrapped up that series uh, last night. We're recording this on Friday morning. Um, and then we also have a very special interview slash conversation with Grizzlies assistant Josh Henderson. So we're excited for you guys to get to hear that. It was a really fun time. Uh, some really fun things to hear with him. Uh, he provides a lot of great insight, uh, cool stories, just a really, really cool interview that me and Tommy both enjoyed very much. So, Tommy, what can you say about our interview with Josh Henderson? It's just, it was unreal, like the experiences he's been through. He's been through just about it all. Um, played in the tournament or in the NCAA tournament, and he's coached a, a pretty successful team. So I, it was really exciting to listen to and hear those cool stories. Yeah. Um, you know, like Tommy said, we, we kind of just go into Josh's background, and then Josh has had some time with uh, the Pacers, and he's been with the Grizzlies now for about three years. So just some really cool stuff for him to be able to open up on all those things. So really excited for you guys to get to hear that. But first, before we get into the interview, you know, we just want to kind of react to the championship, uh, some perspective from both sides, as well as talk about the Christian, the Christian Wood trade. Uh, you know, I mean, if you didn't know the other day, uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Normally you don't expect trades to happen until the whole season is done. But in case you didn't know, uh, once your team is out of the playoffs, you can start making trades then. You just can't make a team – you just can't make a trade with a team that's in the playoffs. So when your offseason starts – you're literally in the offseason, so you're allowed to make trades. I mean, last year, uh, a lot of people were thrown off whenever Al Horford was traded to Boston because it was in, like, the middle of the playoffs. But uh, you can do that. So we, we see it in back-to-back years where a trade is made during the playoffs. So Christian Wood is now a member of the Dallas Mavericks, and we will get into that trade uh, right before we get into the interview. So going straight into it, uh, we now have a – Four-time champ Golden State Warriors. Uh, I, I just want to credit them and go through uh, a lot of points that I think need to be mentioned about this team and how they got here. Uh, very impressed. In, in my opinion, this is the most impressive championship uh, that I've seen from from this core. Would you agree, Tommy? Definitely. Uh, it's one that no one really was expecting at the beginning of the season, and uh, what they've done is just not not shy of amazing. No, I mean. Like, you know, I mean, you go back, you go back two years ago. I mean, this team two years ago, they, Kevin Durant gets hurt. It already feels like he's about to leave. And he gets hurt, like, right before the finals, like the two series before. They handled Portland, then they go to Toronto. They got to play Toronto. Kevin Durant's out. Clay, Clay sort of tweaks something in, like, game two. And so – Clay doesn't play in game three. Clay comes back. He's fine. I guess it was just something minor that they didn't want to risk. Well, Clay goes up for a dunk, like literally at the end of the third quarter in game six, and he tears his ACL. So now they're going from they pretty much know Kevin Durant's going to leave. Clay Thompson just tore his ACL. And, you know, they, they entered what was the worst season of like prime Steph Curry that they've ever had. They won like 15 games. Um, bubble happened that year. They didn't even go to the bubble. There weren't that many teams that didn't go to the bubble. 
um, you know, the next year they come back. Uh, Clay's still not there because Clay tears his Achilles in an off-season workout. Uh, just so unfortunate with Clay there. You know, they go into that season. Uh, things are not going well at all. They just drafted James Wiseman. Uh, they picked up guys like Kelly Oubre. Um, trying to think of the other. Uh, Ken, Ken Bazemore, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they go into that year. Uh, very rocky. Uh, James Wiseman gets hurt. They, they go a lot more to their traditional Draymond at the five lineups. And um, – they really started to turn things around second half of the season, so they found their way in, uh, into a nice play-in spot. They lost the first game uh, to the Lakers, and then they lost to the Grizzlies um, right after. And, you know, Steph actually comes out and says after they lose that, you know, he says something along the lines of, like, nobody wants to see us next year. He, he proved to be right there. Um, just some incredible front office moves like we talked about on last episode, I believe, you know, flip, flipping D'Angelo, flipping Kevin, not just losing Kevin Durant for nothing because that ended up being huge. You know, flipping Kevin Durant into D'Angelo Russell, then flipping D'Angelo Russell into Andrew Wiggins, who quite literally, and, and I mentioned it on last pod, ended up being the second best player clear cut on this team all season long. All-star starter, you know, whether you want to argue he was deserving of that or not, he was like, if you're watching, he was pretty clearly the second best player on the team. Even the regular season, besides it, like struggle. He had a struggle spurt, like right after the All-Star break for a little bit. That was it. And then these playoffs have just been huge time and time again for this team on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, so, so for them to come back from all of that and kind of find their way in a position to compete again. Uh, and, you know, e- even the struggles of this season. I mean, this team came out hot. No clay yet. Uh, you know, with the pickups that they'd made this offseason. Um, they came out with, like, the best record in the NBA, I'm pretty sure, in the beginning. Um, and then, boom, uh, Draymond gets hurt. And, like, right whenever Clay's coming back. And then they start to struggle. They start sliding down. Uh, you know, then Steph gets hurt. And then people are wondering if, if Golden State is going to find themselves in a position to be, like, the five seed and have to play Dallas in the first round and with Dallas having home court advantage. You know, they found a way. They got everybody back. Uh, you know, Clay began to get a little more comfortable along the way. And, again, man, here they are. I mean, just the, the adversity this team's faced in the past two years and even in this season specifically, it's a lot to overcome and very impressive for them to come through and win their fourth championship in, in, uh, in eight seasons. Um, you know, first player I want to discuss is the obvious, and it's the finals MVP, Steph Curry. Um, Steph with a phenomenal finals. Uh, his best final series, in my opinion, his most impressive final series, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say the word it validated him because that's a that's a dumb term because Steph Curry was already more than validated. But Tommy, agree or disagree here. I mean, I just seriously just want to hear your thoughts. For me, I think that this this one really meant something just in the sense that Steph Curry's three previous championships, one, I mean, I get it, injuries happen, but one was, you know, they were playing the Cavs and Kyrie and Kevin Love were both out and it still went six. And the other two were just a super team and Kevin Durant was the best player on the team. I mean, do you kind of agree with me in the sense that, like, 
validated is not the best word to use, but like this one just kind of hit different, like for him to win it, like with these circumstances. No, yeah, for sure. Um, this is actually the first uh, first finals that Stephen Curry has been in where they had not been favored from the beginning. Um, Boston was the favorite going into this series. And um, so I definitely, yeah, definitely not validate, but definitely um, means more if you feel what I'm saying. No, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think – I think Golden State was a slight favorite, depending on which website you check. But but going forward, Boston was favored immediately after they won game one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, I know after game one, people were already starting to say things. Like, I mean, you guys know from the beginning, I said the series was going to go seven and that it was a coin flip, but I was going to roll with Boston. But, like, there was some crazy talk after Boston went up 1-0 and, off, and after they went up 2-1. But um, you know, Golden State just held together, and it was it was mostly due to behind this guy, Steph Curry. Um, you know, he he had one of the greatest games I've ever watched in that game four. Just down two one on the road, your season's probably over if you lose that game. He got almost he got basically nothing from Draymond. Not a very good clay game. You know, Jordan Poole didn't really do a whole lot in the series in general, but in that game hadn't done much. And Steph comes out and, you know, granted, we're going to talk about Wiggins in a second. He was incredible in that game. But Steph just completely puts this team on his back and drops 43 points and comes up big late and just, I don't want to say steals a game because it didn't feel like they stole a game because of how much he kept them in there. But almost just kind of takes Boston's hearts out just because, like, you did everything right, except you didn't guard me, except you didn't hold me below my standard. And that was enough to get them a win to tie it 2-2. And apparently that was the momentum that this team needed to go forward. Yeah. Um, you know, and just kind of last few things about Steph. Uh, if, if anyone questioned if this guy was a like a, like a top five player in this league right now, uh, I don't think you can question it anymore. I think it's pretty clear. You know, sometimes people get hurt. Sometimes things happen. But you have to evaluate the league on any given year. And on this given year, he's – I don't know what to tell you if you can watch this entire year and say that he's not a top five player in the NBA right now. Yeah, delusional if you say otherwise. Um, You know, I remember last year going into this season, I had him at number five think and a lot of that was just due to the fact that like I kind of looked at what he was working with last year and you know he was able to like win the scoring title on like crazy good efficiency and you know I I understand like he lost those playing games but it was just like to me that team had no business being there and he just kind of he found their way to get them there to to have a chance to be in the playoffs and so I, I liked what I saw I mean John Morant was the best point guard in the regular season, but and and I mean, you know, I'm not just going to completely take away from Ja. He did get hurt, but Steph did enough, in my opinion, to kind of reclaim that PG one spot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Steph is just I don't have words for him. He's amazing. And I mean, like that just kind of tells you how good he's been because it, like Ja didn't even do anything bad. Like it was just kind of like unfortunate that he got hurt and like Steph just played so well 
especially down the stretch late in the playoffs, that, like, you just have to give it to him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, that's that's nothing against Ja. Y'all know I love Ja, but, like, there just comes a point where sometimes if a guy plays well enough and does it for so long in the playoffs, so deep in the playoffs, you just have to give it to him. So, it's out there. And then, you know, last few things I wanted to touch. You know, guys, I, I don't remember if it was last episode the episode before. I did kind of give you a hint that, like, we will kind of give you, like, an all-time uh, top 50 list. I'm not discussing that about Steph Curry right now. You know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'm I'm just going to enjoy what I just watched and and what he just did without immediately having some debate for no reason because there's no point in debating it. I mean, like it's 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 good content and like it's fun to talk about, but I'm just taking away from what he just did if I have those type of conversations right now. Same thing with like debating if he's the best point guard ever or not. Like there's no sense in that conversation at this very moment. Enjoy the championship. We can talk about it here soon. Yep. Yep. And that's what a lot of people are trying to do is argue about what, what his legacy is right now instead of just, like, enjoying the championship. Yeah. I mean, let's just sit on it, man. Like, let, let it marinate. Like, enjoy it. And then we can have that conversation. There's no sense in trying to force it right now. Um, but, you know, next I want to talk about Andrew Wiggins. Kind of already touched on it. Don't have a lot to say. Uh, what a turnaround for this guy. So happy for him. Yeah, honestly, I don't have a ton to say, like, other than that. Like, so happy for the guy. My friends that – I don't, Tommy, I don't know if you remember, but, like, in middle school at, like, 13 years old, I was obsessed with Wiggins coming out of high school. And I was, like, so happy about him being in the league. So, for me to have, like, genuinely followed this guy for as long as I have and, like, to the extent that I have, I couldn't be any more happy for the guy to be where he's at right now. Definitely. And it's, like, no one really – Thought he, I mean, like, I, we knew he was a good player, but we didn't know if he was going to play a key piece on a championship team, and he was the second best player for the Warriors in this championship run. The, so it's it great to see. The, the most impressive thing to me with Andrew Wiggins is he genuinely has the IQ to be a part of this team. Like, it's not like there's things that carry him. Like, he is a freak athletic dude. Like, he's turned into a great on-the-ball defender because – because they've gotten him to play hard on that end. But, like, the smarts from him off the ball on both ends and to make certain plays with the ball, that stuff I didn't know if we would get to that level. And credit to him because that's had to have been there to a degree, but also credit to him to be a good learner and really soak in what all they've wanted him to buy into in in this system. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I mean, I could talk about Wiggins a lot, but we pretty much touched what we needed to. Um, Draymond Green, although it was a a very underwhelming series overall, uh, I think he probably had the best game of his playoffs in this playoffs in the closeout game. Yep, he got his shot back, it seemed. uh, Because every time Draymond shot before this this game, or before his second three even, I was like, oh, gosh, Draymond's shooting again. But – it looked like he found the shot, was hitting, hit some middies. So, I mean, it was his best game. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that, like, that's a three-time champion. Like, a four-time champion now. But, like, that's just things that if you're a guy that's been a big piece of multiple championships, like, you end up figuring it out. And he, he figured it out. I mean, he, he's 
incredible performance by him on both ends tonight. He's one of the smartest players in the NBA. His skill set definitely is very lacking. But if you can play alongside guys that compliment you as well as any other person in the league and you have the smarts for it, it's going to take you a long way. So shout out Draymond. Awesome game. You know, definitely a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer whenever that time comes. Um, I think there's no questioning it at this point. Um, you know, I just wanted to hit on Clay. We, you know, kind of talked about Clay a little bit coming back from the injuries. Uh, just really cool to see Clay Thompson be able to be a part of this team in a meaningful playoff run again after all of his struggles. And I, I'm really interested in seeing Clay get a true offseason while being healthy and kind of see how that goes into next year. Because I do think it matters about him going forward. You know, my thing with Clay is if you get this Clay, I'm not saying like trade him, for instance, but like if this is the Clay you're going to get the rest of the way, there is a little concern there because of the because of the price tag. Yeah, and I mean, so for me, it will be interesting to see how this offseason goes for him to be healthy. So I'm going to give him a chance there, and he didn't have like a bad postseason at all. It's just like you expect you're going to have to have more with that price tag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel what you. Yeah, but still, awesome. And that's not me discrediting him. That's just me having the mind of a GM. But, you know, like, just really cool to see him come back from the injuries and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes next season. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to help him to get a full offseason. Uh, definitely. Definitely. He's going to get the no-pressure training and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I think he kind of played at times as if he felt like there was something to prove, like, like I'm back. But, like – you don't have to do that anymore. You had a you had a pretty you had a good playoff run, and like overall, and you know you averaged like I think it was somewhere like eighteen nineteen a game on like solid efficiencies, and like you're a champion. Like you, you don't have to prove anything anymore. Mm -hmm. So right. definitely stress free. I agree. Uh, you know, one thing I just want to touch on with Kevon Looney. Shout out to Kevon Looney. He played in every single regular season and playoff game for the Warriors this year. Uh, can't speak enough about how, how big he was for this team. Uh, huge part of them, especially in the finals. Um, great series, great season overall. I think it's safe to say he's there to stay. Definitely. Yep. Um, and that's what I wanted, I wanted them to keep him, or they need to work on keeping that man. Yeah, I mean, if you remember from the Q&A, you know, somebody asked us about options for like a five man and Tommy Tommy's Tommy's answer was simply keep Kevon Looney. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, he exactly right. After watching this, there's, there's no reason to go get somebody else unless you just improve that much more, you know what I'm saying? But like, but like you're not in a position where you just have to improve at that position. Yeah. Nope. Um, you know, uh, and then just kind of lastly, or second to lastly, just want to touch on Steve Kerr. Definitely an underrated coach. That's all I'm going to put it at. Yeah, there's no sense in just talking about a bunch of different things. He's great at what he does, made great decisions all playoff run. And, you know, he has nine rings now as a player and a coach. Uh, so congrats to Steve Kerr, a big part of this team. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's an elite, he's elite at what he does. 
Yeah, uh, his brain works different. He started Otto Porter again. Yeah. I, and I mean, and I mean, I, I again, I don't know if I agree with that. I think both times we saw it, it didn't, yeah. it didn't go well. <laughs> <to me. laughs> but, but all jokes aside, he's he's done a great job. He did a great job in the series. Um, but I I do think going into next year, this again, congrats to this team. Enjoy the championship. They deserve it. We'll get into it later. I do think they have to improve it. I do think they have to improve a little bit. And that's one thing about being a championship team is you can never win or rarely can you win and sit there and say, you know, like we don't have to improve. Like we can just run it back. Yeah. Never. Because, because more often than not, a team will improve or a team had a, had some guys hurt and like they'll be back. And so like you can't just – Again, it's one of those things where it's like it is kind of hard to find the balance because it's one of those things where it's like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah, I think that Bob Myers is smart enough. The decisions I've seen in the past four or five years, he won't just sit, I don't think. Even if it's something small. like it's not, it's, It doesn't have to be big. I'm just saying a little move around the edges or something. Yeah. I will be interested in seeing where they look to improve going into next season. Um, but now going to the Boston side of things, I think we both can agree that disappointing series, but that doesn't take away from the season that this team just had. No, for sure it doesn't. Um, you can't take a thing away from the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I mean, you look back, this team was 23-24. and 24. At one point, whether it was like – I think it was either late December or early January, somewhere along those lines. And they were sitting at 11th in the East. They weren't even in the playing picture. Yeah, it was separated by like a game, but they were far ways away from being up in like that top uh, that top five or six. Um, year one under Coach Ime Udoka, uh, they finally found moves that more benefited the team towards the trade deadline. Uh you know, like, give this team a full season to to work with this. And, you know, this also gives Rob some much-needed time off. Um, I mean, I think we all can agree, as great as he looked and as great as he was for Boston in the series, nobody should have to – I mean, he can do it. Like, guys can do it. But nobody should be in a position where you get knee surgery and then – pretty much having to play 30 minutes in a final series, not even a month later. Yeah, that's crazy. Because, I, I mean, I've had knee surgery before, and it, it takes a while to get back. Like, I tore my meniscus, and it takes a while to feel normal, is what I'd rather say. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, much-needed time for Rob off. I uh, th- think he's got a – I don't want to call it a breakout season because I don't think his scoring numbers will ever be just through the roof or anything. But in terms of impact, I do think he has – I will say it. I think he has a breakout season incoming. I mean, I know a lot of people have probably woken up on him, but I think, like, you're going to start throwing this guy in conversations that's like, okay, he's, like, elite of the elite of centers. Yeah. So, uh, I his impact on this series can't be understated. Um, you know, they're unfortunate that he couldn't have played more because of his knee. You know, one of the biggest things was – when Rob's in, we're great. 
but the problem is we got to survive about 16 minutes where he's not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully he can get to a point where one day he can play about 35, 36 playoff minutes. Um, you know, I want to talk about uh, what lost Boston this series. Uh, ironically, if you remember why I said I thought they would win in seven, uh, first off, I just want to say this is why you don't always look – and I didn't look at it like this. You guys know I explained it. This is why you don't just look at a series on paper and pick a, and pick a winner. Um, you, you can sometimes. Sometimes it works. But when you have a team like Golden State that plays as smart as they do and does as much as they do on both ends, like the IQ, the, the championship experience, the dynamic they have as players and how they play off each other, you can't just look at it on paper. Because if you look at it on paper, Boston should have won in five or six games. But the problem was is Golden State capitalizes on every mistake you make, and Boston can be prone to some mistakes. Now, if you guys remember, my thing was I think it's going to go seven because, to me, Boston can find four games out of seven where they don't turn the ball over. Well, I was wrong in that sense because Boston found four games out of six where they did turn the ball over. Yep. I've seen some talk about, like, oh, well, part of Boston's problem is they don't have a true point guard. They don't need a true point guard. They just simply need Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart to not throw the ball to the other team like they did in, in over half of this series. And, I mean, like, I know someone might say, well, you don't have that if you have a point guard. I think it's more than fair to expect those three guys to be able to have good ball security and ball sureness. Agreed? Definitely. I mean, once – I mean, in the closeout game, if you your three primary ball handlers turn the ball over 13 times, likely you're going to lose. Yeah, like, you, you can't – I don't think it's – I don't think you should sit there and say they need a true point guard. You, those guys have to just be better with the ball. Um. You know, going into that, just want to talk about Tatum. Uh, I will be shocked if in the next week or two we don't see a notification. And you know, I just want to see. I want to say. I want to say this really quick. These are not excuses for Jason Tatum. You guys know I love Jason Tatum. I will get into what 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 happened, why he needs to be better, what he can do going forward. But I just want to say these two things first because it's not like they just don't mean anything. I do think in a week or two we are going to get a notification saying that Jason Tatum is getting surgery on his labrum. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I also think, you know, Jason Tatum ended up finishing the playoffs with right under a thousand minutes. And he was also top five in the regular season in minutes. You know, you guys heard me talk about KD with it. The past two games, I can genuinely say I watched Jason Tatum and was like, he just looks exhausted. Yeah. It's no excuse, but it's just like he just looked that way to me. Um, you know, uh, I think he ended up running. Uh, heard Zach Lowe talking about this. I think he ended up running like 10 more miles than Steph Curry did in this series. Yep, that's crazy because Steph was running. Yeah. So I, I just think – I think the shoulder and the exhaustion, but take away those things because I don't – I still think he could have had a great, a great, great series. And he didn't have a bad series. It was like – overall, it was like – if you expected like a decent series, I'd say he did a little bit better than that. 
but it wasn't like a great series, but it also wasn't like a bad series. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? And do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I definitely do agree. Yeah. Um, you know, game, yeah. game six was bad, but I mean, overall, I'm not going to sit here and just kill Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he has to be better, but I'm also not going to kill him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, to me, it's like, He's 24, and he just hit the final stage for the first time. And, like, that's a completely different beast. And not, you know, it doesn't affect everybody. But if you want to do your research, and I'm not going to go over it now because it's not worth the time, but, like, go look at LeBron James's first finals, his first two. Go look at Kobe Bryant's first finals. It, it's not – something that guys can walk into all the time. And when I'm talking about all-time greats here, it's not something people can just walk into all the time and just be incredible and sensational. No, yeah, not at all. Now, I mean, we expected Tatum to be a great player, as we should. But should it also shock us to a huge extent that he wasn't, like, having the series that he had before all these others? No, not really. I mean – like I said, like, I expect him to be better, but it doesn't shock me that we're at this point. Like, you have a really young player that struggled in his first finals. That's something the like all-time greats have done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, he's got some things he has to improve on. I don't like him seeking as much contact as he does. I've, I've said it before. He doesn't have a great whistle in the league. But, but okay, maybe that should kind of wake you up more that you shouldn't be playing for all the fouls. If you ever get to that point, which he could, because he's on superstar, like like real – I mean, he already is probably a superstar in my opinion, but I'm just saying like real like top three player in the league stuff, yeah, maybe then you can play for those calls more. Probably not your smartest decision right now. Um, I think he's a very good decision maker, but he still has room to improve there. I do think that will help going into year two of being in, Udo- in, in Udoka's system, using him as the primary playmaker. So I'm excited to see that. Yep. Um, it was definitely a learning curve, and I fully expect him to be back before the end of his career, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, even, even though the series was underwhelming from him, uh, I, think you're, I think you're very lost if you're kind of taken away from what Jason Tatum did this season overall. Definitely. I mean, you're looking at, like, the guy led the second seed in the East, was clearly the best player on the team, was first-team All-NBA, Outplayed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I don't. I don't necessarily know if he's better than Kevin Durant, but I'm just saying outplayed him in a series. Okay. Um. Out. Uh. He he went like head. To, I think Giannis is the best player in the league, but I mean he went head to head with Giannis in the second round, and had some insane performances, and then went like head to head with Jimmy Butler. I mean, like you can't just look at all that body of work. And then take the final series and say, "Oh yeah, he's so overrated." You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous. Some of the stuff that you'll see going forward. But incredible year from him. Uh, Jalen Brown. You know, same type stuff. Uh, elite shot maker, but just has to be a better decision maker. And same thing with Tatum. I think that that's going to come. Yeah. They're both. We have to remind ourselves the age of these dudes. Yeah. Like, we're not dealing with a 30-year-old and a 29-year-old. We're dealing with a 25- and a 24-year-old. 
like that matters. Like, like it is, it gets frustrating as someone who, who loves watching this team. I'm not a Boston Celtics fan or anything, but just someone who liked watching this team because they play a real, they play a brand of basketball that I really liked. It gets frustrating seeing them turn the ball over, but you have to remind yourself like, dude, they're so young. Like, yeah. like they are still a good ways away from their peak as players. And that that's crazy to think about. But um, what do you think it is for Jalen Brown going forward to, like, really improve? He needs to get – I mean, and I, I, this is just about a lot of people, but he needs to get better as a ball handler. Yeah. Because he, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, especially with their team make. Uh, so he's just going to have to improve on that. I agree. Um, needs a better handle. He needs to be able to see more offensively. I, I would love to see him in the offseason uh, working on things like reading different actions. Um, I think that could help him tremendously. You know, I'm, I, that's something he's probably done before, but I'm just saying just keep punching it in, keep doing it. Um, like I said about Tatum, how it's just he's going to – keep playing under Ime and being a playmaker under Ime, I think that's going to help. Like the more you, the more you play under a guy's system, the more you learn it. Um, but I also want to see Jalen Brown figure a lot of things out off the ball defensively. That, Cause that's a struggle for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the consistency. Like some days he goes out there, he looks like <clears throat> that gum. LeBron James is young LeBron James, and then some days he goes out there and looks like Andrew Wiggins when he played for the Cavs. <laughs> Summer League Cavs, Andrew Wiggins. Quite yep. the difference. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, still both super young. Can't wait to see them keep growing as players. But, you know, like, like we talked about, year one of EMA, it'll be interesting to see where they go to year two. I just want to ask you real quick, what should they look for going into next season? I'm sorry, could you ask it again? Oh, uh, year one under Ime, going into year two. Basically, all these guys are coming back, but what should they look for going into next season? They should just look – I mean, they should look to improve and get back to the stage. I mean, the Nets are going to be – or the next Nets are going to look good. There, there are some good teams in the East, but I fully think that they could get back to the stage. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the reason I asked that is, you know, they totally could get back to the stage, but you also kind of like talk about the Warriors, you don't want to get complacent and you also are never guaranteed to be back here. So even though Tatum and Brown are young, you can't just kind of like sit down and be like, oh, we're set. Yeah. Like you're never guaranteed to come back. So they have to improve. Uh, I want to see Aaron Neesmith be in the rotation early next season and just see how it goes. Yeah. That yeah, I see. Yeah, um, I, I honestly do. I think there's potential there to be a, to be a really good role player. Um, but I also think that it's time to kind of look for like Al Horford's replacement because the rest of this roster is pretty young for the most part. Marcus Smart's like 28, but I mean that's not old or anything, and everybody else is younger than that. So, for me, it's kind of like find the guy that's going to play two years from now whenever Al's not like this big-time player for you. 
Uh, I, I'm going to throw one name out there. Go get Kenrich Williams, Oklahoma City. <laughs> Wait. Who? Kenrich Williams. Kenny Hustle. Okay, okay. 30, is, it, is that 34? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Any name that you would – if not, it's cool. But any name that you would be like, hey, Boston, just look at it. Uh, not off the tip top of my head. Not off the tip top, they, I mean, a guard. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I do think a backup point guard would be a nice luxury. But yeah. not like Dennis Schroeder because they had Dennis Schroeder yes. last year and they didn't need that. That's like a scoring. They need like I would not mind a true point guard off the bench. Yeah. But you know, incredible season from them. Uh, we'll look to see what they do. Got a lot. Got a lot of things to work on, improve on. But they also have a lot to be excited about. And again, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. But uh, before we get into this interview real quick uh, we want to talk about the Christian Wood trade um, a few days ago Christian Wood was traded to the Dallas Mavericks and it was a trade that kind of shocked me what about you it shocked me yeah for sure but it, I'm surprised that it shocked you because I'm pretty sure you are the one who, who brought up this trade haven't it well <laughs> I did talk about Christian Wood to Dallas on the pod. But, I mean, did I think it was going to happen? No. Like, yeah. I was hoping it would. But, like, and, I mean, you guys know I talked about it, and I talked about what Luka Doncic could do for a Christian Wood. That is hilarious. Like, like I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, I mean, I remember, I remember thinking about it a few days ago, but that was not running through my head right now. Um. Yeah, I, I did completely just talk about Christian Wood on the Mavericks, and here I am saying I was surprised. But um, but I think I was more surprised at what the deal was. Yeah. Um, Christian Wood to Dallas for the 26th pick in this year's draft, Boban Marjanovic, Trey Burke, and Marquise Chris. <laughs> Boban, Trey Burke, and Marquise Chris play nothing for Dallas. Yeah. So essentially, they just moved three contracts that don't matter for one contract and a contract that they like. So they basically just traded pick 26 for Christian Wood. Yeah. What they also did by making this trade is they opened up two roster spots and they are eligible to use the taxpayers' mid level exception in this year's free agency. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think I now I get it. You, Clippers, you just didn't want it to happen this soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally said that. I want to see Luca with another All Star. And like I said, guys, Christian Wood is not an All Star at this point. I, I would seriously bet that Christian Wood will be an All Star next season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, unfortunate for the Clippers, but. Is what it is. I still, you know, I'm not going to talk about the Clippers too much, but or is it just this is just Mavs talk? But they also traded Sterling Brown. Forgot to mention that. That was like a last detail added. So yeah, four guys that don't play. Um, what did you think for Houston in this trade? I was like, what? 
what are they doing? Is what I thought because I mean they they do have the second pick. I don't know. Like what are they doing? So they have pick three or three. Yeah. I mean I know what you meant. They had one of those yeah. top three picks, but had one of those three players. Basically, they couldn't have hidden it any worse than they did because they worked out Paolo Bencaro, and not even twenty four hours later they traded Christian Wood. <laughs> I mean, he must have impressed them. I think they liked what they saw. I think they wanted to kind of go away from him because he's going to be a free agent next offseason. I think it will be interesting to see if him and Dallas talk about an extension or not. But he will be a free agent next offseason. And so for them, they want uh, Alperin Shingun to be able to play more. He's looked really good whenever he's played. So to kind of give him the keys to the five while also knowing that they're going to take a player that's going to be like a four-man, you know, whether that is a Paolo, a Jabari, or a Chet, that's a four-man. So, you know, kind of opening that up as well. So I, I get that, and I get it. You know, they got a – they technically got a first-round pick out of it, pick 26. I, I just – maybe I'm completely wrong. I just feel like there was something probably a little better out there. Yeah. For sure. And then they could have gotten so much more out of Christian Wood. Yeah, like I I didn't expect too much out of Christian Wood, and that's actually why I said I thought Dallas could get him. It's funny looking back on that because I literally did kind of speak this into existence. But um, I still thought a little more. It it did kind of shock me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about – some big things for Dallas are incoming. If they can either keep Brunson or kind of find a player that they like and get involved in a sign-and-trade, or uh, also, depending on who they could get with that taxpayer's mid-level exception, so some huge things coming for Dallas next season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They got better yeah. already. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would call it a W for both teams, but I wouldn't call it like an L for Houston either. Yeah, it's just kind of like, why didn't you try to get more? Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we just want to talk about that championship series, want to talk about the trade, but now we have a super fun interview that we've been super excited for you guys to hear. We recorded it earlier in the week. Uh, thank you, Josh, for coming on. I think you guys are going to love it. So, uh, Tommy, any last things you want to say about this NBA season or anything before we jump into this interview? Hey, it just uh, finally feels good to get a pick right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got it, my man. You had it on – had hit, hit the nail on the head. Warriors and six. Yep. So, now we're going to get into our interview with Josh Henderson. Here you guys go. And now we're excited to bring on Memphis Grizzlies assistant coach Josh Henderson. Josh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. Happy, happy to be here and happy to talk a little, a little bit about what I do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Josh is an assistant video coordinator and a player development assistant for the Memphis Grizzlies as well. Um, Josh, you know, just wanted to kind of go into your upbringing a little bit before we really dive into the NBA stuff. Uh, from Roanoke, Virginia, from Cave Spring High School, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So born and raised out of Roanoke, Virginia, and 
played all my high school basketball there at K Spring. Uh, won two state championships. Uh, same high school as JJ Reddick. Oh, okay. Uh, he was the leading scorer, and I was the second leading scorer. But yeah, we we uh, had a pretty good basketball team back in the day there. Yeah. Um, and then you ended up going to Vanderbilt to play college ball. Um, five-year player there. Am I right there? So it was actually six years. Oh, okay. So, you know, at the same time, my wife always says I have to clarify, undergrad was in four years, master's was in two. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so it was six years because I redshirted one year, um, played the next year, injured my foot, so broke my foot. Uh, next year played, next year tore my ACL. Um, so due to that, I had a redshirt and a medical redshirt. So I actually – more college players this last year probably played about six years because of the COVID protocol, well, whatever the COVID rules were. Um, but yeah, I was one of the one of the very few six-year college players. That's interesting. Um, what what took you to Vanderbilt from Virginia? Um, so it was basically my you know my parents. They raised me to always value education. Um, also was trying to find a great basketball school that was a good fit. Um, so, you know, overall my top five, it was Vanderbilt, Virginia, Wake Forest, Davidson, uh, Maryland. My dad actually played there. Um, but yeah, so just kind of, uh, narrowed it down, went on a few visits, um, felt like Vanderbilt, it was a good fit. Again, good education, good basketball team, uh, you know. When I was coming there the first year, we were actually a pretty good team, a top 25 team. Um, and w when I went there, I knew it was a chance to win um, and be part of something special. So I was glad I went there. Definitely, you know, the injuries were unlucky, but overall still was able to graduate and have a great degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that team your freshman year, I tried, tried to find what I could, uh, finished 20th in the country. I think you guys were like 25 and 11, and that team had three guys that found their way to the NBA, and John Jenkins, Jeff Taylor, and Festus Azili. And I just wanted to ask, like, what was it like being alongside those three guys that all ended up playing in the NBA? I mean, it was great. You know, as I said, coming into that organization, um, I knew they were all great players. I knew they all had NBA futures. Um, you know, I got to be around their work. Their work ethic was, I mean, top. Uh, top of the nation, the way that, like, John Jenkins, who was in the gym every single night, Festus would work, Jeff would work. Um, yeah, I mean, they were they were good people to be around. They were good bets to have. Uh, I learned a lot from every single one of them when I was there. Um, and even afterwards, we're, we still stay in touch. So I, I see Festus a decent amount. He's actually commentating for the Warriors now. Oh. Um, so I'll run into him. And Jeff Taylor, he's actually playing for Real Madrid. Um, and John has actually been playing a little bit in Spain. Um, but no, I mean, when I was there, there were, they were great teammates and great players. Yeah. Um, now you guys that year, you did win a first round tournament game, uh, against Harvard. And then the second round, I guess, had to have been a heartbreaker losing by three to Wisconsin. Um, you know, we just wanted to ask like, what was the atmosphere like in those tournament games and how different were they, or if, if it was any different than your regular college game, whether it was home or away? Yeah, I mean, NCAA games, they always have a different feeling, a different vibe. Um, everyone, this is, you know, when, when I was a kid, you watch the NCAA tournament, this is what you play for. This is the stage that you always dream of playing in. 
Um, we definitely had some big regular season games, SEC tournament games. Um, we actually we won a championship in 2012, uh, beat that Kentucky team. Um, that actually ended up winning it all back in 2012. Um, but yeah, I would say it was a uh, it, it was a good experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and you know, also in your time, I was able to find that you played with Damian Jones, Luke Cornett, and Wade Baldwin, who also found themselves some time in the league. Um, did you sense that those guys were going to the league whenever you played with them? Yeah. Um, again, all three of those guys, they had a lot of potential. Um, they all had flashes. Um, Wade was a freak athlete. Damian, another athlete. Um, Luke, I will say, you know, he's always been – more of a late bloomer in basketball. I mean, even from high school going to college, um, I mean, he'll always tell people like his junior year, he was con junior in high school, he was considered being a manager in college. Um, he had a growth spurt, ended yeah. Up to, yeah, ended up coming to Vanderbilt. Um, even at Vanderbilt, he, you know, he had the height, he had the shot. Um, but I would say it was more his summer going into his junior year um, when I really started to see flashes. Um, just he was able to get a bucket, score at the rim, block shots. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been it's been awesome watching all three of those guys, uh, all the success they've had. Yeah, and I mean, Luke is currently a member of the Boston Celtics, who are tied in the NBA Finals right now. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Boston has a lot of a lot of Vandy guys right now. Um, they have so Luke is there. Um, they have Aaron uh, Nismith. Yeah. yeah. And also they have a guy Matt Ryan. He was at Vandy, I believe, for a year. Okay. And then also behind the scenes, similar to myself, they have Steve Chingang, who was another one of my teammates. So Steve actually does a very similar um, position I have here with the Celtics working with the players and uh, working with the video. Sweet. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of Vandy. They even have Evan Brads from Belmont. Uh, he's on their staff as well. So there's a lot of uh, Vandy national connections on that team. Yeah, cool. Um, and then, you know, just kind of wrapping up the college stuff, we just wanted to ask who is the best player you played with in college and who is the best player you played against? Uh, yeah, so for that one, you know, can't have too much of a controversial pick here for best player. Um, I'm going to say best offensive player I played with. You know, again, I played with a lot of great players. Um, I'd actually have to give that one to John Jenkins. Um, John, he was just, I mean, he was a pure shooter. He could get a bucket. Um, again, he was one of those guys that was always in the gym working. Um, even afterwards, I'd, I, I mean, he had so many great college games, um, you know, played in the NBA and he's still playing. But it didn't matter wherever he was, he was always competing, trying to win. I remember there was a pro, a pro-am game in Nashville, and I think he dropped like 60 or something like that. I, I wasn't at that one, but I have seen John play in the Nashville Pro-Am before, and it's like you can see why he was a first-round draft pick. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a, he's a hell of a player. He's a great guy. Um, yeah, so I, I would say best offensive, I give it to John. Defensive, uh, that one's actually tough. You know, Damian, Fess, great shot blockers. You know, Wade Baldwin, good defender. Jeff Taylor, I mean, elite defender, um, I'd say as far as – pick and roll, off-ball screens, the way he plays with physicality. Um, so actually surprised. I would give that one to Jeff still. Um, and again, each all of those guys are great defensive players. Um, Jeff was just one of those guys where you could put him on the best player 
and you felt like he was going to stop him. Um, yeah. Just his physicality, his lateral movement, um, athleticism, and, and still, I mean, that's what he's really known for, I'd say, in Europe right now. He, he's, he's a great defender, and he always has been. Yeah, I, I don't want to catch you too off guard uh, and without moving, like, too forward into your career. <clears throat> to this point, were these some of the best players that you had played with or, like, in high school ball, AAU, travel ball? Had you play, played against, like, anybody better than them? Yeah. I mean, again, I would say, so Roanoke, Virginia, you know, it's a smaller, uh, smaller city. Um, now coming up, I did play, I played in a top 100 night camp in St. Louis. Um, that was going into my, I'm trying to remember, I think that was my sophomore year. And that was the first camp that really opened my eyes. Um, because again, when I was coming up, you know, we didn't really have the social media or, you know, TikTok or Instagram or any of that. So going to that camp, that was the first time. You know, obviously I'd played AU, um, but being in a camp like that, um, again, sometimes I have to look at that list, but I think it was like I saw Austin Rivers and um, who else? Harrison Barnes. I'm trying to think of all the guys in my class, but basically it was like all those guys at the camp at the same time. Um, and that was the first time I was really like, wow, there's some really good players out there and I need to, I need to continue to get better and improve. Um, and, and I'd say what really stood out was the way guys could shoot, create shots, and their athleticism. Um, wow, that's great. But yeah, so probably my sophomore year in high school is when I really saw it. And then my official visits. Now, again, high school was great. AU, that's where I felt like I more proved myself. I proved to others and I proved to myself I could play at the next level. Um, because again, you'd be matched up against a guy like, Hey, this guy's the 70th player in the, in the nation, or, you know, he's the 50th, this and that. Um, and then even going on my official visits, um, just, I playing pickup with all these college guys. Um, it was a great, great experience. And in high school, sometimes I went to Virginia tech and I played with those guys. Um, so, you know, I was always trying to prepare myself to be ready for the college game. That's awesome. Um, and then, you know, after you did finish your time, at Vanderbilt, you did spend some time playing professionally uh, in Bulgaria, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I was there for it was a pretty short period, um, but again, it was you know it was an experience. I, I always wanted to play professionally. Um, I will say, coming out of college, again, I'd had a decent amount of injuries. Um, it got to the point where the doctor said you can keep playing basketball or you can walk with your grand grandkids, um, and I decided to keep playing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I had the opportunity to go to Bulgaria. Um, I was there for a short time. You know, it was, I'm glad I did it. Um, it was completely, I mean, when you go to a foreign country, it's just, you're completely immersed in the, you know, the culture, the language, the food, uh, the people, the style of basketball. Um, it was definitely something I'll, I'll always remember, but um, ended up coming back. Uh, it was cut short and actually, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, looking back, I'm actually grateful that I, I came back and stopped playing. Um, and when when did you know, because after, after your time in Bulgaria, uh, you did end up going to Nashville to be an assistant coach um, for Drew Maddox at Christ Presbyterian Academy. Um, when did you know that coaching was a route that you wanted to take? So I'll say I've always known that. Um, now, first off, I will say 
you know, you always have goals in life. And my first goal was definitely to be a player, um, you know, be an NBA player. Just You want to be the best player you can be. Yep. And then as life goes, you know, that goal, I, I can still say I achieved it. I, I played professionally, but then you need another goal. And, you know, my next goal was, all right, now I want to coach basketball. Um, so when I came back, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Um, I had actually stayed in contact. I had a friend that worked for Charlotte. They were the Bobcats at the time. Um, and I've been talking to him about he was a video coordinator for that team. You know, he did player development, helped the coaches with whatever video edits and written reports they needed. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, that sounds like actually a pretty interesting job. You know, I, I might be interested. Um, but when I came back from Bulgaria, it was around, I want to say it was, I think it was around November. So by that time, most college teams, most NBA teams, they all had all their positions filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually worked out where with Drew Maddox, another Vandy grad, um, I had known him through the years, and there was a 6 a.m. pickup game that they still do to this day. Yeah, um, I played with them before as well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would go in there and i play. And, again, I, I loved it because it it's a great group of guys. We compete. Uh, everybody plays hard. It's a great way to start the day. And started to build a relationship with Drew. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, Coach, I'd be interested in helping out at CPA. Is there any chance there's, there's a position? Um, and he was completely willing to give me that chance. Um, it was actually, it was a volunteer assistant position. Um, so I was able to get on staff, work with the high school kids. Um, we had a good year. Uh, I got to, you know, see the other side. It was my slow transition from player to coach. Um, but, yeah, Drew, I mean, he's – one of the best guys out there gave me an opportunity to always be grateful for it. Um, and I'll always be grateful to the kids. You know, it's uh, looking back at it, those kids, you know, I, I wanted to help them the way that others had helped me. Um, but again, like they, they helped me almost even more. Um, just seeing those guys play with each other and how much they cared about basketball and, you know, cared about their teammates. And that was what I really loved growing up. Um, just playing with, all these kids you grew up with and you get to compete and play on a team together. Um, just seeing those guys. And um, it, it honestly, it brought my love back for the game of basketball, just seeing, you know, what basketball can create. Um, so, yeah, I was very grateful that Drew gave him that chance. Um, and then that actually worked out where um, the next summer, Indiana, they had a, a position open and I ended up sending my resume over and I, I took that next. Yeah. And so I guess that was around like two, that was 2017, right? Yeah. Yeah. 2017. And, uh, so you, you ended up getting a job with the Pacers, uh, being an assistant video coordinator and player development assistant. And, um, you worked under Nate McMillan, who was the head coach at the time. Um, we just wanted to ask what is Nate McMillan like as a coach? Like what's his personality and what's his dynamic with his players? Uh, again, Nate, Nate's a, he's a great guy. Um, a lot of people think because of whenever they show him on TV, he has, I don't know, a scowl or stern face. Um, but that's just, that's just him just watching the game, you know? Yeah. You talk to the guy, he's one of the nicest guys out there. Um, he's still coaching wise. He's a great coach. He coaches his guys hard. He has a standard. Um, and the reason he's so good is because he, he holds them to that standard. Um, and yeah, he was a great a great first head coach in the NBA to work for. Um, he definitely, he valued his staff. He valued his players, um, you know, and he always preached about playing the game the right way. 
Um, and going into this, you know, I'm trying to learn from every single coach that I'm around, um, the things I like and take notes on other things I think I could improve. Um, but yeah, overall, Nate, Nate McMillan, he's a great coach. He's a good guy. Um, you know, you saw with Atlanta, they had a great run a little bit ago. Um, and still now, I think that, that that team, they have a lot of potential. I think he'll get it out of them. No doubt. Yeah. Um, and your, your first season being there, um, you guys actually did make the playoffs that year. Um, a, a breakout year from Victor Oladipo after mm-hmm. a trade that sent him there, part of the Paul George trade. And um, you, you guys played that uh, that Cavs team, uh, LeBron's last year there in Cleveland in 2018 playoffs, that series that went to seven. Um, you know, first I just wanted to ask, what was the aura around the team going into that series? Because obviously, you know, a guy like LeBron, uh, there's almost like from the outside, a lot of people kind of have this feeling that like teams kind of fear him and not, not to say that you guys didn't respect him, but I just wanted to know what was the aura around the team going into it. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely knew Cleveland was a good team. Uh, regular season, we had a few good games against them. Um, but also, I mean, that, that team, they had a lot of confidence. We were, I mean, looking back at it, you had DeMontis, Bonas, Bojan Bogdanovic, Victor Oladipo, Darren, Darren Collison, Lance Stevenson. Um, we had a good core. We had good players. Thaddeus Young, um, you know, we, we were we were a good team. Um, and again, well coached with Nate. Uh, Cleveland, we knew they would be tough. Obviously, LeBron, you know, I was one of my many responsibilities for that series. I actually had to chart how he scored every single game. Um, and I would say almost, if I remember it correctly, it was over. It felt like 60% or 70, they were just ISO one-on-one. And a lot of the times it was good defense. He was just hitting tough shots. Yeah. And it was kind of hard because, you know, sometimes when you're coaching and a guy plays great defense, it's like, hey, you know what? You played good defense. You got to contest. You made the shot. Next play. Um, but with LeBron, he just kept doing it over and over. <laughs> Yeah, and um, how how was it from the jump game planning for a for a guy like him? Yeah, I mean, so we wanted to be physical with him. We wanted to switch the matchups up. I think we had Lance guarded him, Bojan guarded him, Thaddeus guarded him. Um, we were just trying to throw anything we could at him, just make it hard for him. Um, again, try to limit our turnovers. Don't want him to get on transition. No easy dunks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really all you can do. Just try to be physical, don't give him anything easy, and contest whatever shots it takes. Yeah. Um, you know, that series was tied 2-2, and obviously it did go to seven. And, you know, I remember that game five just because of the, the ending to it. And LeBron, LeBron ended up hitting a game-winning three at the buzzer. And I remember just watching because Oladipo had a drive late in the game before LeBron hit the game-winner. Were you guys as a staff or a team frustrated? Because I remember the controversy about if it was a goaltend or not. Because yeah. that because that ultimately put a team up 3-2. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, that game game five was huge. Having that 3-2 buffer, um, it, you know, it, it definitely made it tougher. And we wish we had it because game six, we blew them out pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that game five, definitely controversial call. I, I mean, I think because of that call, they ended up, adding the rule where if they blow the whistle and call goaltend, then they can go back and review it, if I remember correctly. Um, so that was one of the many instances that helped create that rule. Um, but, 
yeah, it was it was pretty frustrating because it was a pretty obvious block. But again, you're not going to get every call, especially the playoffs yeah. road. Um, and it's you know, as a coach and players, you don't always want to. You know, it's always about this call or that call. I mean, for us, it's more of hey, that transition layup we gave up, or hey, this turnover, or, hey, that extra pass we didn't make. That's the reason we lost the game. For sure. So, because end of the day, it's always in your control. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Oladipo, remember him having a very good series, very good year in general. Um, you know, did you guys see that type of breakout coming with VO that year? Yeah. I, I mean, with that, Kevin Pritchard, um, he knew what he was doing. You know, he moved PG and basically traded one all-star for two future all-stars. Um, but, yeah, Victor, he came in. He was a worker. Um, he'd come in every single game day, get shots up. He'd come in early. Um, and then he just – I mean, he had a great year. He, it was an all-star caliber, caliber year. He was an all-star. Um, and just the way he was – he would hit big shots and he'd always be ready for the moment. Um, and another small thing, he was always positive. He was one of the most positive guys we had. Uh, he'd come in every morning. He'd, he'd be singing uh, sometimes, you know. But, uh, yeah, he was just a – he was a good person to have on the team. and. Definitely saw the success coming as well. Yeah, me and Tommy were actually talking as we were kind of writing up our outline for this podcast together. And, you know, we were kind of like telling each other, like, man, it's crazy, like, because of how Victor Oladipo got injured, like, how it seems how much people have forgotten how good he was that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, he's um, – and still, he's a very he's – he's still a great player. Yeah. Um, you know, in my yep, we still see flashes of it, and hope hope one day he gets back to that full form. You know, yeah, no, he will. It's a, uh, you know, you never want to see anyone get injured. It was a tough injury he had, but he does all the right things. I know he did all the rehab. He's taking care of it, um, and he's being a productive player on a championship contender. Yeah. So he's he's still doing well, and you know, I think Vic's still going to keep on being a good player. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, you know, in your um, – well, not lastly, but uh, you did coach a very, very entertaining player in Lance Stevenson. Um, I just wanted to ask how was that, and do you have any interesting stories with Lance? Because I know for me personally, my first ever NBA game I ever attended was game five of the 2014 Eastern Conference Finals in which Lance blew in LeBron James's ear. <laughs> So, like, I got to see it firsthand. And so I just wanted to know from somebody who was with the guy on, a day, on like, a daily basis during the season, do you have any interesting, entertaining stories of Lance Stevenson? Uh, well, first for Lance, I'll say um, he's a – again, he's another great guy, good player. Um, he's a competitor. When he's on the floor, he's always trying to win. He's trying to make the right plays to win the game. Um, but, yeah, as far as his antics uh, – Again, he, he just he does anything and everything to try to get under your skin or just be physical and take you out of your game. Um, I guess one, one small one I could share would be, um, so another thing I do, I play scout team. We're walking through plays, and whenever I would do it, or not whenever, but I was doing it, and Lance somehow ended up on me on the play. And again, we're just walking through it. But he would take his hand, and you know how when you hold somebody? So he was holding like this, and defending with his other arm, but he was taking his thumb and he was just pushing it as hard as he could into my ribs just to mess with me. So I kept on knocking his hand down. Um, so sure enough, then we're playing Cleveland 
Uh, I forget which game it was, but him and LeBron get into it a little bit. He's just being physical. The ref breaks it up. You know, next thing he goes up to LeBron and I see him, he puts his hand into LeBron like this. So when you're looking at it, it just looks like his hands on it. But I knew what he was doing. He was just pushing right into his ribs. So LeBron hits his arm away. LeBron gets a technical. <laughs> so That's I thought, awesome. I thought that was a sneaky trick he had, but again, it's he does anything and everything to try to win. Um, and he's a he's a good natured person. He's he, he's good to be around. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm glad you're able to share that. Um, and it, you know, these this is kind of like the last point or two I wanted to talk about in your time with Indiana, but. I mean, you kind of hit on it already about when Kevin Pritchard did make that trade, the the Paul George trade, and you 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 hinted at he he got two All Stars for one uh, whenever he he thought he did whenever he made that trade. So I mean, I guess you kind of have already answered it in a sense. But was there a feel in the organization that Sabonis could get to the level that he's at today? Yeah, Domas he's always been a solid player. Comes from a basketball family. Um, again, he was another younger player that we saw a lot of potential. Um, his footwork was great. His touch was great. Um, physical player, he would screen, he'd roll hard, he would rebound. Um, so yeah, I'd say that first summer, we just, he was a solid all-around player um, and he just kept getting better and better. Just the more that he played, the more minutes he received, um, he did the most with it. And he is what he is today because of the work that he puts in the gym every single year. Yeah. And then the, the last thing I wanted to ask, and I mean, I, I don't mean this in like a bad way. I just, I just genuinely want to know and kind of like ask from a perspective of somebody who was coaching the two of them was just in your two seasons there, did you all as a coaching staff ever think much of the Sabonis and Turner duo down low? Because it seemed like one of the two was always in hypothetical trade talks to the media. No, it was uh, – I mean, they were good. We, we liked them together. Um, offensively, Miles could be more space to shoot the three. Domas could be more of a post-up player. Um, and then defensively, you know, Domas was a physical rebounder and Miles was our shot blocker. Um, so I feel like they actually they – com they complimented one another, offense and defensively. Um, now, ultimately, they did trade Domas and they made that move. Um, but the years that I was there, I felt like they were they were good together. Yeah. Um, and then you know uh, you did you did wrap up your time in Indiana after two years, and you ended up where you are now in Memphis. Um, you know, obviously we asked you about Nate McMillan. Now I just want to ask you, how's it been working under Taylor Jenkins? And you know, like like to me, he he seems like a a, a legit top tier guy in the league. Yeah, yeah, Coach Jenkins, he's he's awesome. Um, He's one of those guys that, you know, he's very put together, very organized, high energy. Um, he's a great role model to have as a coach. Um, so definitely I've appreciated the opportunity that he gave me in, in joining this organization. Um, and also congrats to him. He actually just signed an extension today. Yeah. Um, so he's he's a part of the future. Our GM, uh, Zach Kleiman, he also signed one. So, you know, we're building a great foundation here, great leadership. and. Uh, he's he's been a, a great head coach. That's really cool. Um, and then you know, your first year there, uh, that was the year that coronavirus hit and the hiatus happened in the league. So I just want to know what was it like for you and everyone you know in the league to have to go through that type of hiatus? And you know what was I mean I know I know everyone in the on the in the entire world had to go through like a weird phase, but like 
in the NBA world, how was it to go through it? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely different. It, uh, you know, it, it's, it was weird because you saw it coming, but when it still happened, you were still shocked. Um, you know, everyone was seeing the reports and different tournaments were being shut down. And then we were on the team plane uh, flying out to Portland and we saw the NCAA tournament was canceled. And I, I feel like for everyone, it was like, well, NCAA tournament's canceled. Like, this is, you know, this is going to affect a lot of other teams. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so getting that getting that text and the, you know, checking Twitter and everything, just seeing the cancellation, it was, def- it was very odd. Um, because also with the virus, you know, we didn't know what it was yet. We didn't know how dangerous it really was. And um, also just in our lifetime to have to go through a pandemic, you know. The last one, the last real one, it felt like, well, the last one was 1918. And for us to live through one, um, it was pretty crazy. So, and also for our schedule to be in the middle of the season where you're doing something every single day. And it's just like, hey, season's postponed. And then you're, well, what am I doing tomorrow? Like, what are we, well, when are we going to start again? And just every morning, you're not sure. Um, but yeah, just navigating that again. Coach Shane has did a great job. We had team Zooms. Uh, we had coach Zoom meetings. Uh, he still kept the guys engaged. We would actually do Zoom games. So like every Tuesday, we would get all the guys together and we would play like Team Jeopardy. Um, we would do, uh, we'd show a picture and say, who does this guy look like? And, you know, just to get team interaction. Yeah. Um, and then for, for the coaches, we would still watch film. So during that, those few I think it was months it felt like um, we would break down games we would do game studies um, just prep work he he kept everyone still involved and um, I feel like we did a good job navigating our way through that leading up to the bubble um, and then I just wanted to ask did were you did you go to the bubble and if you did how was that yeah so actually I joined uh, later after they finished the uh, regular season games in the bubble, um, you know, Sally Jaron was injured, so they were sending him out of the bubble. So due to that, I was able to go into the bubble um, because there was a certain amount of people you were allowed to have. Um, so once he left, I went in. Um, however, I had to go through another week quarantine. So basically, I was in the bubble, but I had to stay in a hotel room for a full week. I literally couldn't leave the room. So they would bring food to my door breakfast, lunch, dinner. I had my computer, had the TV. Um, I would actually, sometimes I did a Peloton workout virtually with my wife one time because again, you're just, you're in a room for a week. Yeah. Um, and by the time I actually got out, we had just lost that game against Portland. Ah. And because of that, I didn't actually get to go and join up with the team. So I was in the bubble, but I was in one room the whole time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up the, uh, Portland game because you guys did you guys were able to play in a game that could have potentially gotten you a playoff berth and uh you know just lost towards the end in a close one and uh you know Jaws a rookie had 35 in a like a in like essentially a playoff game type type feel and um you know I remember going into that season there weren't very high I mean I don't I don't know internally from you guys but just what seemed like from the outside there weren't very high expectations for the from the for, for the Grizzlies from, like, the general public. But Ja was clearly a special player that already paid off in year one. And, I mean, like, like what was your guys' feel around the team, even though the expectations weren't all that high? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with a young team, when they don't project you to be one of the better teams, um, you know, you don't talk about it, but players definitely, you know, they've seen it, they've heard it. Um, but every single day we came in with a, trying to create a winning mindset. You know, we're going to go into every single game. We're going to play the right way. We're going to compete. Um, we're going to put ourselves in positions to win basketball games. And I think our guys came in every single day. Um, they competed, they played together, and they got better um, through practice, off-season work. Um, and then they just gradually, as the year went on, they kept building more and more confidence. Um, we'd win big games. We would win road games. Um, yeah, and then at that playing game, again, we were just proving ourselves like we could win. Like We felt like we were in, in every single game that we played. So, you know, like, you know, like you were saying, like you guys competed very well with Portland in that playing game, and it was honestly so close to getting a playoff spot. You know, I just wanted to ask because of how special John Morant was in that rookie year and in that game, in that type of setting. I just want to know, looking back, did you guys know that you were going to take job with that number two pick? Well, so I actually, so my time with Memphis, I came a little bit after that. So I actually – I was still with Indiana uh, through Summer League. So when they took Ja, I was still with the Pacers. Okay. Um, so I actually I, – I didn't know – you know, I didn't know who Memphis would take. Yeah. Um, definitely knew that, you know, he was going to be drafted very high. Um, and he's definitely proven, you know, why he was the number two. And he could have been easily the number one pick. Yeah. Um. You know, he, he's already such a such a very good established player in the league. But do you think that there are, like, other levels that he hasn't unlocked yet as a player? Yeah. I mean, every every player, every all-star, they can always keep on getting better. Um, so, you know, this offseason, it's, you know, he's, he's shooting the ball more, uh, trying to improve his three-point shot, just like every other player in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. He's a, he's a very special player. Uh, the way he attacks the rim, the way he finishes, um, he's, you know, he's, he's a one of a kind player. So he's, he's fun to be around and fun to work with. For sure. And then, um, you know, after the successful, uh, first year, um, you know, in 20, in 2020, 2021, you guys had some juice going into that year. And you guys were in the play-in again, and you, you beat the Spurs in the first play-in, in the first play-in game. And then you actually went on the road and were able to beat the Warriors in a play-in game to secure a playoff spot. How was that as an organization to go on the road like that in an elimination game type thing and secure the team's first playoff spot since 2017? Yeah, I mean, that experience was invaluable. Um, again, to prove to our players that, we're a good team, which they knew that. But to go on the road into a hostile environment against former champions and win that game for a winner-take-all, um, you know, that, that will build confidence. And, I mean, that was a great building block to get us where we got to this year. Now, obviously, we need to keep on improving. But uh, that game in itself, it was – I mean, it was great. It was huge for us. A bunch of – it was a young team. We competed played defense, you know, made winning plays, got 50-50 balls, and just found a way to win. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, that's what the playoffs is. You just have to find a way to win, and yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. And then because of that win to secure the playoff spot, you guys did end up playing the Utah Jazz 
in the first round. And, um, you know, you, you guys, I mean, you guys lost the series of four, one, but I mean, like it was, a, it was, a team's, it was that core's first playoff appearance really. And in game one, you guys were able to steal a game uh, on the road. And that was behind 57 points between John and Dylan Brooks. And, you know, I personally think that it paid off for this group to get some playoff experience in that year. Um, like both for this year's playoff run and for maybe some years to come. Um, I just want to know, like, would you agree with that? And how much do you think it helped to just be in the playoffs with that group? Yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely huge. Um, Obviously to win uh, that playing game against the Warriors, you know, that was an awesome game to win, a lot of fun. Um, But also as a coaching staff, I mean, everyone, we understood what that meant for our development as a team. Uh, for our guys to go and actually have a full seven-game series um, and to feel that, you know, Utah was the one seed um, to go into a hostile environment, get that first win, compete. Um, it was great for our guys to have a taste of what the playoffs was really like. Um, it was so, yeah, it was a great experience, you know. In the end, they ended up obviously beating us um, four straight, but um, after we took the first. Um, but, yeah, it was it was great to go into the off season and, we showed our guys, hey, we can make it here. Now the next step is let's win a series. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, with with being in the playoffs, obviously, like we like we mentioned with earlier, the expectations type thing, you know, once you get in the playoffs, the expectations obviously rise. And, you know, you guys did have that higher expectation, uh, but you guys more than answered that call and finished second in the West and had the second best record in the league this year. Um you know, what made this year so special for you guys as a team throughout the regular season, in your opinion? Um, I'd say just, I mean, we showed how deep our team is. Um, every single guy, they stepped up. You know, there was a point where a guy might be out of rotation. Somebody goes down, somebody's sick, something happens. So a player steps into that role, and they were ready for it. Um, and that's the measure of a true professional. Uh, this team, we, all, we have all professionals, guys that care, guys that want to win. Um, and guys that know what it takes to win. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'd say basically we were all just confident. Um, guys that were playing, guys that were supporting their teammates, uh, when their time came, they made the most of it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, specifically, something that I want to hit on, and, and, I, and I've talked about it in this on this podcast for me and Tommy both have. We did a and a one time, and somebody asked about it. But, you know, you guys did have a 20-5 and five a Raiders season record without John ja Morant. And I mean, I don't think anyone surely with a brain that watches this team and watches John ja Morant would just say, oh, they're better without John ja Morant. I think that's, you know, madness. But what can you say to the team and to the roster to be able to be that successful even without the star player on the floor, as well as you guys as a coaching staff to find ways to put those guys in those type positions to succeed? Yeah, so I mean – I would say it's the culture of our team. It's the work ethic, uh, the principles we teach. Um, you know, if one guy's out, it's the next man up. And, you know, Tyus Jones came into that starting role. You know, he played great. He's another – he's an unsung hero. You know, he's uh, he's led the league and assisted turnovers for multiple years. Um, he's a very solid player. Um, he's a great player. And he came in and he produced. Do, do you know the number for Tyus Jones? Isn't it like seven to one or six to one or something like that? I think it was five point two. I feel like I should. Know oh, okay, that. okay. 
So you can always, you know, but I think it was, it was a little bit over five. Gotcha. Um, actually it's bothering me. So I'm gonna look it up right now. <laughs> um, but obviously there, you know, other players playing a huge part as well. Um, sorry, it was, it was 6.4 this year. Okay. I, I, I thought it was in between that six and seven. I couldn't remember if it was seven though. So his brother was actually at 5.1. So okay. His, so Tyus was first and Trey was second. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, the, the Jones, the Jones brothers know how to find assists and not turn the ball over. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask about uh, Desmond Bain specifically. You know, what was it for him to take such a giant leap from the rookie year last year to this year? And, it, you know, it obviously proved to be very vital with Dylan Brooks missing a lot of time throughout the regular season. You know, I've, I, I remember uh, Desmond Bain went on to JJ Reddick's podcast and he kind of talked about how, like, he credits a lot of it to uh, Coach Jenkins, like, wanting him to play summer league. And he kind of responds with, like, you know, I was thinking in my head, like, why am I playing summer league? Like, I, I just I played for this team in the regular season, was a solid role player, and then got some minutes in the playoffs. But he's, he just said that it did wonders for him to be able to have that much ball handling responsibility. What, what can you say to, like, elaborate on all that to be able to see Desmond Bain grow firsthand? Yeah, so, I mean, once again, we have a, a group of workers. We have a culture of working. Um, Des is a prime example. You know, he, he's in here right now. He's working every single day. He's going hard. He's going 100%. Um, yeah, that summer league, it was great for his growth. He was handling the ball in pick and roll. Um, you know, during the season, it's more John Tyson pick and roll. So, to have that chance to put the ball in Des's hands, to give him, you know, different reads, different actions to be in. Uh, I think it was great for him because that was a live setting um, against other professional players. Um, but yeah, his growth again, he just, he came and he worked. He's uh, he, he was at TCU for multiple years, had a great coaching there, came here, he's bought into the system um, and he's definitely been producing for us. Yeah. And then uh, Tommy wanted to ask about Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. So uh, Jaron Jackson, like he, He's he's gotten better each year, and whether it's offensively, offensively or defensively, we want to talk about the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so, what is his work ethic like? Like you're around him every day, and then I wanted to get his dedication from your viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, again, we have a, a lot of great young players. Uh, Jaron's one of them. Um, you know, and I keep saying young players; these guys are all maturing; they're getting better and better. We have young guys. We have great players. Um, you know, the thing is the year before Jaron had came back and he had been hurt. Um, and this was a year where he had a full year under his belt where he was healthy. And I feel like sometimes people forget that where they compare this year to last year and probably like he, he had a full year under his belt where he wasn't hurt. Um, he obviously had to play through things sometimes, but he didn't have any major surgery or anything like that. Did he come um, back last season? Like right before the playoffs? Was that yeah. One? So yeah. Yeah, I think he had only played. Uh, I want to say like eight eight regular season games before the playoffs started. So he played on, I mean, I think it was less than 15, less than 20 for sure. Um, so, you know, sometimes when people look at numbers, it's like, hey, the guy only played less than, he played less than 20 games. Yeah. Um, and, and also that was just, he was coming back from injury. He didn't have a step back. Um, I'm saying he was a, I don't want, yeah, he was a step slow because he was hurt. 
and now he's back and his body, he's been taking care of it, you know, in the weight room, he's working on the court, he's working, um, you know, and his, he's been efficient in the post. He's efficient. His isolation defense has been great. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he's another one of our great players and I'm, I'm happy to work with him. He, he was personally my defensive player of the year pick on this podcast. And I, I think I can assume that you guys within the organization thought so as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jaron definitely has my vote. He's uh the way he affects the game, the ways that he blocks shots, the way that he defends. Um, he's a, he's a great player all around. I, I vividly remember the, there was a game where you guys were playing the nets. Um, but, uh, without jaw and Jaron really stuck out to me because he kept switching onto Durant specifically in the fourth quarter and just did an amazing job on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jaron, he's, you know, he's got great size, good length. He's athletic, um, great feel for the game, great timing. Um, and he, he uses his body well, so he, he knows what he's doing out there and he's going to continue to keep on getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously, to kind of wrap it up, you you guys had a super successful playoff run this year, um, you know, that maybe didn't end as you guys hoped, but, I mean, still nonetheless a great season. Um, you know, where do you guys go as an organization to continue to make strides in the next season with this team? Yeah, so, I mean, it's there. there's no real, like, major secret. It's just getting the gym. Um, our guys just get them in the gym, keep on working, Yes, it's the off season, but if you want to get better, you don't just you can't just go home and expect to be better. Um, keep on coming in the gym, um, working, getting shots up. I mean, every single day they're playing against. They play against. You know, they could play against each other. They could play against us, but uh, we're giving them live reads, and we're just trying to make them better and better. Um, so that they know when they come here, they have everything they need um, from the performance side on the court food i mean we're, we're basically here to just whatever they need we're here for them so we're going to continue to do that and uh it'll be it'll be exciting i'm looking forward to summer league that'll be coming up in a little bit uh have a few more young guys come in uh so summer league will be another you know great time to develop our other guys and going to next season we'll be ready yeah for sure josh you know Thank you, man. I mean, I know, like, you know, Chasen said it whenever he was on the pod with us last week, you know, even though it technically is the offseason, it's really not the offseason because of these pre-draft workouts you guys are going through right now and the meetings that you guys are going through. So, seriously, man, thank you so much for giving your time on this podcast. No, of course, I'm, I'm happy to do it, and I'm glad you, you reached out. So, hopefully you can uh, – you know, it gave you some, some good insight, and, uh, you know, th- thanks again for having me. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, with with that being said, uh, this is the end of episode 15 of the Coast to Coast podcast, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you.